All right, Reality Church. What's your creed? Like, what? What's your creed? Maybe, maybe that's an odd question uh, for you to think about. And I know that for many, the idea of a creed is foreign. It's formal. Maybe it's something that was left like a long ago in the Middle Ages. Maybe some of you who have been around church for a long time maybe have heard of or are familiar with some of the ancient creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, but maybe even that sounds like a weird, funny language to you. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What is a creed? Well, simply put, a creed, it's a statement of faith. It's what you believe. And usually a creed summarizes not only what you believe, but usually some form of what, what does a community believe together. Now here's what's fascinating in our kind of modern secular age is that creeds aren't just for churches and creeds aren't just for Christians. In fact, everyone has a creed. Not everyone knows they have a creed, but everyone has a creed. And what I find fascinating nowadays is that many people are starting to post their creeds on signs in their front yard. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've seen these. So here, here is a sign. It's a creedal statement. In this house, we believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. Science is real. Love is love. Kindness is everything. And what I've learned in the last two years is I can post this and start a fight in the room immediately. And so what has happened is people have come to post what they believe in this house we believe has caused then a sign war. And maybe you've seen other people then who say, oh yeah, well let me tell you what I believe in this house. And then you end up having other signs, right? In this house we believe that healthcare is a choice. All lives matter. Fetal rights are human rights. Immigration is a privilege. Real science is never settled. God is love. Again, we can pick more fights in the room, but it's interesting as people are starting to post their creeds, what they believe in their front yard, which then leads to more sign wars. In this house, we believe you're reading this, you're realizing it's not what you thought. You want to laugh because we all know these lawn signs are pretentious. <laughs> right? It, it, becomes, it becomes a yard sign battle. Now, I'm not going to walk through the specifics of those statements, but I just want you to know you believe something. You and I all are being formed to believe something. Like, it's not neutral. We are being shaped 24 and 7. Cable news discipleship. Social media discipleship. Twitter, Facebook, school families, friend groups. There's pressure on every side for you and for me to conform to other people's beliefs. What's your creed? So, if you have a Bible, why don't you open up your Bibles tonight? The screen has given it away. Now go ahead, so you can stay on there. Colossians. 
the New Testament book of Colossians. Go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 1. If you're trying to find it in a Bible, it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And today, we're kicking off our fall series in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in this book between now and Advent, which is coming soon. So let's look at the opening lines of Colossians 1. Um, Today is really kind of an introductory sermon that will set the pace for where we're going to be these next few months in Colossians. But let me read these opening lines from Paul's letter. Colossians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." Get a new series, new book. We've been spending all summer in the fruit of the Spirit. Time to shift gears from the fruit of the Spirit, and now we land in the book of, of Colossians. A few introductory basics about this. First of all, maybe you know this, maybe this is elementary to you, but this book is a letter. This book is a letter written by the Apostle Paul and his son in the faith, Timothy, written to the church in the ancient city of Colossae. And for those that maybe aren't familiar with Colossae, it's a small town in modern-day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, just north of the Mediterranean Sea, not too far from Ephesus. Uh, If you want to get your geographical bearings, here's a map. Here's Jerusalem down here. Here's Colossae here. This is is Turkey. You got a lot of the, the churches where the letters of Revelation were written to, they're kind of surrounding it. But Colossae is tucked in between right by Hierapolis and Laodicea in the Lycus River Valley. Right from the beginning of the letter, Paul writes to this church. He gives them his customary greetings. He says grace and peace. But then after that, he begins to explain just how thankful he is to God and how excited he is about what God is doing in them. He's excited about their spiritual growth. He's excited to see that their faith has taken root and is beginning to spread and be fruitful and multiply. And it may not seem very significant, but for Paul, this is special. Because for Paul, this actually is a different kind of church in a different kind of letter to a different kind of church. I think the church in Colossae exposes a myth that has been around Christianity for a while. I know for the church communities that I've been a part of, I've maybe not heard this myth, but I've felt this myth. Maybe you've heard or felt this too. Sometimes we tend to believe that God is at work when great people do great things in great places. 
And so we're like, oh, for God to move, it takes a great person to do great things. And it usually has to be this like really big city, big place, spectacular, extraordinary people doing extraordinary things in these extraordinary places. And that's where the real moves of God happen. And yet the story of the Colossians is just the opposite of that. Nothing could be further from that narrative. Great things are happening in Colossae, but it's not because great people are doing great things in great places. Here's how this book and how this letter comes about. God brought faith to a small backwater town. The gospel born fruit and it multiplied, and this church community began to develop and grow. And it happened because, look at verse 5. Here's how this whole church was planted. Here's how it took place. Verse 5, it says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul says the gospel came, the word of truth came, it's bearing fruit, it's growing, it's multiplying. I think there's some Genesis echoes here where God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And now in Colossae, the gospel is bearing fruit and multiply. Multiplying. How did it happen? How did the gospel get there? Usually when we read these letters from Paul, it's because Paul brought it there. Usually Paul would go on his missionary journeys. He would travel to a new place. He would proclaim the gospel. Some people would come to faith. A little community would start and a church would be born. And then Paul would send them letters to encourage them to grow because he knew them, loved them, saw them, and really was like a father in the faith to them. But that's not how this happened in Colossae. That was not the case. Colossae was not on Paul's checklist. It was not in his master strategy. He was not intending to go here. In fact, he hadn't gone there. This is not a church that Paul planted. How did the church get planted? Well, it got planted... Because of Epiphras. Who's that? Can you go to the next slide? Yeah. Just a reminder, ordinary people. Epiphras. He's called a faithful minister in verse 7. He's called a servant in verse 7. He's talking... To Paul in prison, he's giving him updates, and now he's in town with Paul. But most scholars assume that this is what happened, is that someone heard about the gospel in a nearby town, most likely Ephesus, and they heard about the good news of Jesus, and they brought it back to Colossae, and they shared the faith, and they shared the gospel, and that's how this whole thing took off. Epaphras. Epaphras. An ordinary person, a faithful person, a servant. This is not Paul's spectacular show. And this is the beauty of God's kingdom agenda. Out of all the possible ways that God could work or that God could move or that churches could be planted, God in his wisdom chose ordinary people to be the hands and the feet and the mouth for the kingdom. 
Next slide. Ordinary people in ordinary places. Someone happens to hear about Jesus. Someone happens to bring it back to town, to Colossae. What's the big deal with Colossae? Nothing. And that's kind of the point. This isn't the biggest city. This isn't the big capital. This isn't the big place. You do your homework. It's a small town near these other towns of Hierapolis and Laodicea. It's near a river in the Lycus River Valley. It's at the foot of a mountain. It's on a trade route to Ephesus. Near a river, by a mountain, on a major trade route. Sound familiar? It's just an ordinary town. That describes like half of western Washington. By a river, near a mountain, on a trade route to the big city. And yet here in nowhere Asia Minor, through the life of a previously unknown person, Epiphras, the beautiful mystery of the gospel is unleashed. And we have no record of his words. We have no record of his actions. We have no record of his work. But something took root. Something took hold. Something developed from a seed of faith. And it led Paul to say, oh, you learned this from Epiphras. So do you want to know why Paul is so excited as he opens the letter and says, grace and peace, and I pray for you, and I give thanksgiving for you, and I'm so excited to hear what is happening. It's not because he had been there. It's not because he had planted it. It's because ordinary people in ordinary places experience something transformational from God. Ordinary people in common, ordinary places experiencing extraordinary results because the goodness of God tracked them down. The truth of God tracked them down. New creation was breaking out in the Lycus River Valley. Faith, hope, and love was filling the world in new places. And Paul was so excited to hear what God was doing through ordinary people, in ordinary places. There's no way to explain the book of Colossians. There's no way to explain the church at Colossae other than the good, great message of the gospel. It's the power of God unleashed in a community. And it's not about the people who are used. And it's not about the places of significance. It's not about the cultural elites. It's not about the money or the power or the clout. The greatness is in the message. And I would do you all a great disservice if I led you to believe that the real great things of God only happen through pastors and church leaders. I would do you a great disservice if I led you to believe that God only moves in the walls of church buildings. I would do you a great disservice if you felt like you had to have a special degree or be a certain age or have a special skill or travel to the special places of the world. This is the biggest deal. This is what matters most. This is the key to the book of Colossians. This is the creed that is extraordinary. You ready for it? 
Here's the creed that is extraordinary. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord of all. And I don't want to get ahead of myself too far into this series. We'll get into the letter. But we studied the book of Philippians in the last few years, and we, we noticed in Philippians that there's this certain poem, the Christ hymn, that shows up in Philippians that Paul then plays off, off of. Colossians is set up the same way. There's a Christ hymn. There's a Christ poem tucked into Colossians that becomes the grounding foundation of the entire letter. And I'm, let me read it to you here. Colossians 1.15, this is what Paul is so excited about. Ordinary people in ordinary places discovering this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, excuse me, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is a bomb of truth right there. That is just a massive statement. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what the invisible God is like, look to Jesus. He reveals the Father perfectly. He is the creator of all things. Paul wastes no ink. He creates all things in heaven and earth. Visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things are created by him. All things are created for him, in him. All things hold together. He is the cosmic ruler and he is the cosmic glue. So that Jesus may be preeminent in all things. This is the Father's plan that Jesus, his Messiah, Jesus the Christ, would be Lord of all. That he would be preeminent in all things, over all of creation, over all of the earth, over all of your life, over every area, every aspect, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that, that's our creed. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the rallying cry for Paul. This is the rallying cry for the Colossians. This is the rallying cry for the followers of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Your life has been made by him. He has made everything possible for your salvation and redemption. He holds your life together. He holds your body together. He holds your story together. He is the one who can forgive your sins. He can take care of your past. He makes sense of your presence. He holds you for the future. Jesus Christ is Lord. In the commentary, Scott McKnight says, 
that this is a vision for the cosmos with Christ at the center. So, back to our original lawn signs and our ideas of creeds. That which either sticks in your yard or governs your heart. This is our highest creed for those who proclaim the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, He is Lord, Ruler, Sovereign, Sustainer, Creator, Holder, Redeemer, and Reconciler of all. And His mission is to redeem and reconcile all things in heaven and earth back together through the peace of His cross, the blood of His cross. That's what matters most. This is the creed of creeds, the mantras of mantras. Jesus Christ is Lord. So then, therefore, you can be like, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that. Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't dismiss this. Every other theology, every other ideology, every other creed, every other yard sign, every other place in which we engage our lives must then be centered on that truth and filtered through that truth. That statement, Jesus Christ is Lord, isn't just about the afterlife. It does hold through to eternity. But it's also about making sense of today and now. Meaning, thinking back to our yard sign that I first put up, your philosophy of race must flow through the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus, the Messiah, is a Middle Eastern Jew who is now the exalted king of heaven and earth, who is reconciling for himself from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Jesus Christ is Lord. Your philosophy of sexuality must start with Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's not just for fringe groups. That's all of us. Our sexuality comes underneath that Christ would be preeminent over all. Determinations about science and love and police and parenting and politics and our homes, like all of those areas and all of those themes are areas and themes that Jesus rules over, shows up in, cares about, and wants to set the pace in. This is a cultural challenge. It was true for them among the Roman Empire, it's true now, among the American Empire, is Jesus Christ Lord. So, that's the fun we're going to step into this fall. What does it mean for Jesus Christ to be preeminent in all things? What does it mean for Jesus Christ to be Lord over darkness, in sin, over suffering, against legalism, 
amongst the philosophy of our day, in the church, in our homes, in the prevailing culture at large. Paul goes through it all and says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's work out the fact that Christ is preeminent over all things. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of creation. He is the one who made all things, redeems all things, and holds it all together. So let's figure out what this means. Yes, for eternity to come. But right here and right now, where you live, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is Lord? More than your political affiliation. We have political affiliation. We, we, we vote. We show up in our politics in our understanding of race, in our understanding of sexuality, in our homes, in all these places. But how does the lordship of Jesus translate out? It's not comfortable. But man, is it beautiful to put Jesus in his rightful place. As the old, I think I I quote this probably a few times a year. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Not a square inch. Not a square inch of Olympia, Thurston County. Not a square inch of my heart and mine. Where Jesus doesn't say, mine, that's mine. And freedom is found not in throwing off restraint or throwing off rule, but actually freedom is found in finding our place with the one who has rightful rule over us. Because in his wisdom and love, he does it far better than we can. So Jesus Christ is Lord. You may hear that a few times in the next few months. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. May it be on our lips and may it be in our hearts and may it shape our lives so that ordinary people in ordinary places may experience what happens when the powerful, beautiful, transformative truth of the gospel hits the ground and honestly changes things. I look forward to our fall. In Colossians together, let me pray. Uh, Lord, Lord, it's easy to to say these things or to read them on a screen or maybe even to paste things on our front yard signs. But we desire, Lord, to be in alignment with you. To confess you with our lips, but to allow our lives to be formed and shaped. God, there's places where we're much more comfortable with Rome, with Babylon, with the United States, with our countries, our culture's way than we are in following and being shaped by you. So Lord, we ask and we give you permission. We open up our our hands and our lives and we ask, Lord Jesus, as the preeminent one over all things, may you have your way among us. May you lead us and shape us and teach us. May you show up by your Spirit, just like you did in the Lycus River Valley a few thousand years ago. May you shape this community under the rule and reign of Jesus. And God, I pray, maybe for those that are here that have not yet come to taste your mercy and grace, 
Lord, as they belong among us, may they come to believe too and taste for themselves the goodness of God, the transformative power of grace. May you keep working and drawing us all closer and closer to your heart. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.